Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Rochelle Travers, and this is The Leader. Man trim, we sell an all, and just about to leave the shore. That's 98-year-old Urea Esson, who came to England in 1963 from Jamaica. We glad some song the boatman sing, and listen to He's one of six people from the Windrush generation who've shared their personal stories with ES magazine. It's part of a special project for the 75th anniversary of HMT Empire Windrush docking in Britain, a collaboration with the charity Black Cultural Archives as well as the art platform Circa. Tonight, on Thursday the 22nd of June, Windrush Day, at 8pm, videos of their interviews will be shown on the big screens at Piccadilly Circus to celebrate a truly remarkable group of Londoners. But for now, here's a taste of some of their stories. Starting with 98-year-old Urea, who was in his 40s when he came to the UK. Why did I wait so long to come? I go to America twice on farm work. And my brother came here two years before me. And the second year, they were sending back for me now when he said I must come here. So my brother sent for me here. He's here two years before me. So that's why I never come that time. But when I was coming on the boat, we stopped twice in Spain and Madeira. 14 days to come here. And I meet good people on the boat, good people. Mm. I was driving for Ealing Council Three and a half years. After I leave there, I drive for Ryman Stewart mm. City Delivery Good for six months. Then when I leave that, I drive the buses. I was a strong back for my family. Claudette Parkin Scott is a 68 year old youth worker. She came to Leicester in 1965 from Jamaica when she was just 10. Oh, I came by myself. I came by myself. My mum had to go back down to Kingston because I went to Kingston, get the passport. I didn't know, how to, you know, she took me up there and signed up. And, and that was it. Because where you come from, you don't tell anybody you're leaving. So I didn't know. I didn't, wasn't able to say bye to anyone because I've got a... Uh, 
I would have said so that didn't come. Didn't say bye to anyone. Because in those times, you used to get the bus at certain time, maybe 6 a.m., maybe earlier, go to Kingston. So I saw, got me out, put me in the bus, I'm going to see my mum. And I didn't come back. And I cried for two weeks when I was here. When my dad, I said, Daddy, oh, Daddy I want to go back home. He said, next week. And next week never came. I, di I didn't like England, because coming from the West Indies, you don't, you, you know what I'm saying? We had freedom, we had all the food to go, you pick, you do certain things. No, but as the years go by, yeah, we had opportunities. At the end of the day, you have to face racism. I can remember going to a shipping company in Liverpool Street and, and I told the agency, don't send no more blackies. So I faced, but I never let anybody put me down because nobody is better than me. And I've always had that mentality. I don't want to be like you, I want to be me. And this is who I am. Let's go to the ads. After the break, we'll hear Lazar Silvestri's story of coming to the UK from St. Lucia in 1958 at the age of 19. And Patrick Vernon OBE from the Windrush 75 Network on his campaign involving the Windrush Anchor. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. On the 22nd of June, 1948, HMT Empire Windrush docked in Essex, bringing 800 Caribbean migrants to Britain. It was the start of the Windrush generation. This period of time is credited with shoring up the workforce, playing a key role in establishing the NHS, as well as helping to shape and enrich the country we live in today. Lazar Silvestri told the Museum of London his story of coming to the UK from St. Lucia in 1958. I came, when I came, I was, uh, I was 19. Yeah, I traveled on my own. My brother, my brother sent for me. I came out, I came to Southampton and from Southampton I had to get boat and I, and I came to, I met him in, in, uh, Waterloo. Oh, when, when I first came to London, I didn't have no impression that I, that I liked the place. But within three months' time, mm. I was getting homesick. I wanted to go back home. Because uh, what I, may, I miss back home is just my, my, my freeway. 
Patrick Vernon OBE is from the Windrush 75 network. He's also a culture historian, campaigner, and social commentator. Patrick, 75 years since the HMT Empire Windrush docked in Essex. Put it into context for our listeners. Just how much of a defining moment was that for Britain? Uh, it was a defining moment because after the Second World War, lots of parts of Britain were devastated by bombing. East London, Coventry, other parts of the country. Also, at the time, there was a new Labour government and they made a number of commitments and pledges around employment, around the creation of the NHS, and in terms of having a better society after, you know, after the aftermath of World War II. And one of the key aspects was actually there was a shortage of labour to work in the factories, to work in the, in the, in the recently established N- uh, NHS, um, and, uh, and there was a shortage of labour. And because of the war and so many people died, it was quite clear from the government's perspective that they needed people to come from different parts of the economies or parts of the empire to come to Britain to help re- rebuild Britain. So you had the 1948 British Nationality Act, which uh, ironically wasn't really aimed at people coming from the Winners generation. It was actually, they were hoping to have people coming from the Dominion countries, such as Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, and Canada. But obviously, the people from the Winners generation, i.e. people that came from the Caribbean, but also people came from Africa and Southeast Asia, saw this as an opportunity uh, as migrants, economic migrants, to come to Britain to rebuild Britain. That was part of my his- my parents' journey too and they played a key role i mean in terms of the nhs there's a definitely umbilical cord between the establishment and the running of the nhs as it was in 1948 as it is today to be quite honest the nhs is the biggest employer of black asian left minority communities in britain today you talk about retail you talk about manufacturing you talk about transport particularly uh, especially in a place like london you talk about art culture just life but communities people relationships you know, love, impact, major impact. You have to recognise that the people that came from that Windrush generation were the most talented and the youngest that were coming from the Caribbean. It was like a brain drain, people leaving the Caribbean to come to Britain. Doctors, nurses, engineers, teachers, mechanics, you know, a whole range of skills. And when they arrived here, they thought that they could easily get jobs based on the qualifications and their aptitude already. But actually, there was a discrimination. It was called the colour bar. And it was basically, you were were discriminated because of your colour of your skin. And that colour bar had impact on housing. So people couldn't get um, social housing from... There was a sons and daughters policy where essentially, if you were local, which was a euphemism for being white, you weren't entitled to get social housing. So a lot of people had to either go in the private sector in terrible housing conditions or had to buy their own property. There was discrimination in employment. Today, we talk about the ethnicity pay gap and the gender pay gap. But back in those days, in the 1560s, it was like an ocean. There was discrimination, you know, in entertainment. You know, people, it was difficult for people to go into socialise, to go into pubs, because there was discrimination. You know, that led to what happened in Nottingham and as well as Notting Hill in 1958 when you had the race riots. And then there was discrimination in people going to churches. It was quite profound, this colour bar. Why is this anniversary such an important one? I think, you know, this is important. I mean, I look at my family. My dad is going to be 92 soon. And my mum's 89. And, you know, they are the last of that generation. I mean, you know, by the time we reached the 85th, 90th um, commemorations, virtually that generation would have disappeared. So this is our opportunity for Londoners. If you know anyone from the Windrush generation, neighbours, friends, someone that you might see going to the local corner shop or on a tube, 
or on the bus, just say to them, thank you much for being here. Thank you much for your contribution. And we value you. If we could just do that, that would make a difference, really would. When did society change and the Windrush generation finally get the recognition they deserved from the public? I think, ironically and sadly, it took the Windrush scandal 2018 for the public and particularly for Londoners to really appreciate and understand and recognise that this history of Windrush history is also British history. So, and it took the scandal, which essentially where children of the Windrush generation came to Britain on their parents' passports, and many of them are now in their 50s, 60s and 70s, who were denied access to health care, lost their jobs, lost their housing, because they couldn't prove they were British um, because of the hostile environment policy. But they were, but they were British already because they had been here for such a long time. It took that for the campaign I was working on, leading on for many years, campaigning for National Windrush Day, uh, which was the original idea was from Sam King, a Windrush pioneer who was actually one of the passengers on the Empire MT Windrush ship, and he also served in the Second World War. And but I, you know, I worked with others, and we had this campaign for a number of years for a National Windrush Day, and it took the government at the time to recognise that, and that's and it was adopted in 2018, and that's one of the reasons why everywhere will organise events. We need to have more recognition. My vision, I, I'm hoping that you know, moving forward in the future, that there are lots of depositories of oral histories in local museums and archives and, and various institutions in London. It would be fantastic to have a super-duper database um, where anyone could access interviews, pictures, memories, for either for school projects or just to understand this history of migration. I'm part of a new organisation that's just been established called the Windrush Anchor Foundation. We have plans to recover the anchor of the Empire Windrush ship. The ship itself is at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of Algeria. It's been there since 1954 after it got engine failure and caught fire and it sunk. And we want to recover the, uh, the anchor using the latest robotic technology because the ship is actually 3,000 metres down the bottom of the sea. Bring it back to the UK, restore the anchor and linked to an educational programme and found a location in Britain for the anchor to as a public monument and contribution reflecting the Windrush generation. The fallout from the Windrush scandal is still going on. You're part of a group of campaigners who dropped a petition off at Downing Street recently. Just tell us about that. So the petition uh, that was that was presented by the Black Equity Organisation, um, which I, I actually was involved in that, was basically demanding that the government implement the report that they commissioned uh, into the Windrush scandal to implement all the 30 recommendations. Um, the Home Secretary, Sula Bergman, has dropped three of those recommendations. She believes they're not relevant, but they are relevant because we want proper accountability, we want proper scrutiny, and we and if the government talk, is talking about right and the wrongs, part of that process of right and the wrongs is actually listening to the experiences of those who have been impacted Results the hostile environment policy, and the government should take their views seriously to try and rectify that. And that's not really happened in a significant way, to be quite honest. Uh, I see Windrush Day as a bittersweet day. It's bitter because that injustice has not been resolved. I mean, uh, you know, lots of people are still wanting to get compensation. They want to move on with their lives. They just want something that's fair, that's reasonable. They can move on. Lots of them are suffering from depression, post-traumatic stress. 
the Windrush scandal is not the Windrush scandal, it's a, it's a Home Office scandal. The Home Office were the perpetrators of the scandal in the first place, and it just kind of means that we don't have the full opportunity to appreciate the contribution of the Windrush generation and their legacy and and we still need to have justice for the winners generation in terms of proper compensation and proper respect and recognition. That's it from this episode of The Leader. Special thanks to the Museum of London, the charity Black Cultural Archives and art platform Circa. You can read more personal stories from the Windrush generation in ES Magazine and online via standard.co.uk forward slash ES Magazine. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.